Do you have to wear gloves when handling materials? I am researching my family and I'm not being very successful at finding records for them at the archives. I'm positive that I am not searching properly. Is there a video or guide to help with that? Is everything digitized? What's the best way to take care of family records? Welcome to Connecting the Docs, a podcast sharing true stories from the Old North State using materials found in the State Archives of North Carolina. Taking us through these stories and more, here's your host, John Horan. I'm your host, John Horan. Today's episode is a little bit different. We're throwing it back to you in the audience. We'll be answering questions that we have received on social media, along with a bunch of frequently asked questions. Helping me answer your queries are archivist extraordinaire, Lauren McCoy. Hey, I'm Lauren, and I'm the digital archivist for online programming, but I spent the last four and a half years working as a correspondence archivist in the search room. So I'm bringing a lot of questions that I received there. Excellent. Thank you. And Josh Hager. Hello again, John. Uh, Hello, listeners. I'm Josh Hager. I am the head of the records description unit in the government records section. That's a fancy way of saying that my staff and I uh, take care of all the records that come in from government agencies and get them ready for you to use in the search room. And before that, I too worked in the search room. Uh, So I bring experience from a couple different vantage points to the episode today. Looking forward to it. Excellent. Thank you very much. And finally, on this episode, we have Katie Crickmore. Hi there. Uh, I am a reference archivist in the Public Services Unit right now. I've been there for about four years, and uh, my job is primarily uh, interacting with the public when they come in, uh, so I'll have that perspective as well. We've got a lot of search room experience here. I'm really looking forward to this. Um, So we'll, we'll break it down by theme. The first theme is conservation questions. Lauren, why don't you kick us off? Of course. Yeah. So this is a question that we got on Facebook um, from a call I put out a couple months ago asking for questions for this episode. So um, our first question is, what is the best glass to use in a photo frame to protect old photographs? Mine are starting to fade away. I'm sure this is something that a lot of people deal with. If you've got any kind of, if you've inherited historical photographs, if you've got historical photographs um, that you know, that you've collected. So um, I actually reached out to our audiovisual materials archivist um, and got a response from them because this is not something that I have a whole lot of expertise on. Um, Yeah, same. (laughs) But, and so Ian says that um, the best thing is to make a copy and display that copy. So you don't want to be displaying your historic photographs because that's going to expose them to a lot of light and other environmental conditions. Um, but if you really want to display the historic photograph, uh, then you'll want to use UV filtering glass. And that will protect the photo from ultraviolet light. That's ultimately going to cause your photograph to discolor and fade. Um, but it won't protect it from things like humidity fluctuations or temperature fluctuations. What should we do with, if we do display the copy? What should we do with the original? That's a great question. I would s- recommend to store the original in a cool place. Um, the, the basics for archival storage um, for any kind of record uh, that's analog, which means not digital, cool, dark, dry, 
and constant. Uh, cool temperature, I mean, some photographs actually, photographic media actually like it quite cold, and some places keep photographs in freezers uh, or very cold storage. I wouldn't recommend that in a home setting. Don't put it in your freezer, but keep it in a cool area. Uh, keep it in an area that stays dark so that the lights are not on constantly. You certainly don't want natural light on it, so not an area that's going to get under a window, for example. Um, you want it dry. You want a place with low humidity. If you have a lot of historical photographs, you may even consider getting a dehumidifier um, for the area. You don't want it to be so low. Again, there's the right balance. Um, this, our stacks are kept at a relative humidity of about 36%. Um, so that's uh, where you're looking for. Um, and constant. You don't want to constantly adjust. You don't want to have the environment fluctuate that often. So mm -hmm. some people think, well, I'll put this in an attic or a basement because it fits a couple of those criteria. Um, but those can get humid. Uh, but so then they think, well, I'll keep it in the main part of the house, but those temperatures may change. And like, oh, I'll put it out in a shed. That's where the conditions change the most because it's out in the outside. Um, mm -hmm. So even if it's climate controlled, if it's like an outbuilding, it's going to be changing with the seasons. So uh, pick a room in your house uh, or a closet maybe that's going to be cool, dark, dry, and constant is your best bet um, for storing photographs. Yeah. Also acid-free. You can buy acid-free folders and acid-free containers online, and that's going to be another good opportunity um, for preserving your photographs. Well, I appreciate that. That's, I mean, that's all great news and, and great tips. I think that um, the note about not storing in your attic or in your basement or in the, in the shed is really interesting because those places, um, the shed c can fluctuate. The attic and the basement seem pretty constant, but basements are cold and damp, mm -hmm. often flood. Mm -hmm. Don't want that. And no. attics are where heat rises. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Definitely don't want that either. So main part of the house, closet, seems like the way to go. Exactly. And, and this is not a question that's unique to our users. Audiovisual materials in general are some of the most fragile materials that we have in our holdings. And we are constantly working on making sure that those materials are, are kept in the best condition. So um, we've had a lot of time as archivists to figure out how to take care of paper. And we're pretty good at that. We're pretty good at taking care of digital objects, too. Uh, it's the, the stuff in the middle, the AV, the magnetic media that does pose more challenges, but certainly um, we encourage these best practices. It's what we adapt here. All right, the next question about conservation. So actually, it's we got a lot of questions about conservation. I think that's something that a lot of people, um, especially people who are inheriting um, materials whose parents are you know, sadly passing away and they're inheriting things that they collected across the 20th century, you know, they're having to, to deal with. I know I was, I went home at, at Christmas and my mom showed me just box upon box of um, old photographs and family albums and, you know, diplomas that um, my grandma had collected before she passed away in September. And, and so that's something that a lot of people are dealing with. So we, we got questions about preserving photographs, newspapers, family Bibles. So we're just going to address all of that collectively now. So, um, what is the best way to take care of family records? So I think we already mentioned uh, a bunch of the the basics, uh, storing them in a cool, dry, constant mm -hmm. place, um, acid-free 
folders and boxes are also recommended and they can be purchased. Um, so we've already kind of gone over that and that's kind of the general, uh, that's the standard mm-hmm. for also, you know, newspapers, any other paper, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say like another part of taking care of your materials is knowing what they are. <laughs> So um, we have a blog series that goes through how to care for family records, and it includes a blog, I believe, about specifically about kind of doing your own archival processing. <laughs> how do you like labeling things? I know I was looking through these these records and so grateful that my mom was like extremely specific about writing who people were on the backs of her photographs, and like that's a that's mm-hmm. a huge blessing to us because now we know who those people are um but you know there's a a lot of those old family albums are going to be really that plastic is really acidic and really bad for those photographs so take them out of there if you can yes Um, i wanted to mention the the glue and everything as well on the back side can be a Mm -hmm. little iffy yeah in general as a you know as a processing archivist when we encounter things like scrapbooks and albums it sends shivers up our spines they're very (laughs) useful tools and i and they are um they show they tell a lot about the people we get them from Mm -hmm. but the media in them are going to be damaged and it's a question of how much and what do we do to Mm -hmm. mitigate it yeah Uh, so taking them out of those is an option sometimes and putting Mm -hmm. them into better containers um what i would recommend if you're doing that and also just recommend in general it's not a bad idea for if you have family photos to make digital surrogates mm-hmm. of your um, images. And you, you might think, well, is digital less stable than some of these formats? It could be, uh, certainly, but you do want a backup copy. Uh, and also, especially for the scrapbook, things like that, you can take pictures of the scrapbook as it originally was intended. Mm-hmm. And that yeah. you can keep that picture and then just make sure you, you make you tend to that digital file i believe uh uncg has some good resources on digitizing scrapbooks because they have a whole Mm -hmm. collection of scrapbooks on their digital collections so um a lot of universities and also the northeast document conservation center is another great resource they have they have pamphlets they have videos they have things that can teach you how to take care of your records um and I'll say that, you know, in line with uh, the writing of uh, that your grandmother did on the back mm-hmm. of photographs and whatever else, another thing to do is to, as the oral historian, I will put this out there, is to interview people who know what those things mm-hmm. are yeah. and say, sit down with them and put your phone out there, hit record and say, hey, look, what's this photo? What's this photo? And then everybody can, mm-hmm. can listen along as somebody is describing what's happening in these photographs so that when they're no longer there because that's a fact we all face every everybody's not mm-hmm. going to be here all the time so when they're no longer there you can look look at this picture and listen to this recording and say hey we know exactly who these people are yeah. and that helps with genealogy that helps with understanding where you come from it's also it's all, it's really it's, it's really interesting and then the other thing in with regards to blogs we have a blog on how to do oral histories if mm-hmm. you want to do oral histories with your family in terms yeah. of um, preserving your family's history more generally than just in terms of mm-hmm. photographs, but do both. Yeah. It'll be worthwhile. Mm-hmm. And we'll put links to these blogs in the show notes so that you can easily access them. 
It's a good segue actually to the next section of questions that we have, which is about digitization. So I, you talk to anyone probably at any archive and they'll tell you that the number one question they get is, is everything available online? You know, and so we um, we did get a question through Facebook, uh, you know, just kind of a general do many or most archivists offer their collections to the public online? And the answer is it really depends on the institution. <laughs> uh, it really does. Um, digitization is not cheap. Mm -hmm. It requires staff, what highly trained staff to create the images and take care of those digital images. It requires funding for the equipment, and it requires funding to pay for the storage of those images in the long term. So every institution wants to put things online. Most put some online, but I would say very few, if any, put everything online. Correct. Yep. Uh, just because of resources. I mean, it's mm -hmm. in the state archives alone, if you're just looking at archival materials, we have two buildings here in Raleigh full of archival materials. And then we have two satellite facilities in Manteo mm -hmm. and Asheville full of archival materials. And that's not including all the born digital records that would have to be reformatted to yeah. be put in our digital collections. So th the amount of resources that it would take is astronomical. Mm -hmm. I can't even try to do a, a back of the hand calculation on that, but there are some materials available and, uh, I think that's where I want to segue to Katie because that's where you have to refer to people for them all the time. Yes. Some of our materials are currently available on uh, the standard sites like Ancestry or FamilySearch.org, but our own site, our digital collection site, also has a lot of um, materials that uh, we are constantly updating. Uh, so we have a bunch of different categories you could look through, including family history if you're doing genealogy. Uh, and we are, again, constantly updating it. Um, we also have a Flickr site for a lot of our photographs, uh, and we and there are a few um, sites that were created by patrons who have come mm -hmm. in and scanned our records and put them up for free to use, like NC Land Grants, uh, and there are uh, NC Map sites that we did in partnership with UNC. Mm -hmm. So there's tons of options available out there, and if you have a question about whether a certain certain collection or an item is digitized anywhere, you can feel free to give us a call or send us an email and we can let you know where it is digitized for free before you put your order in. Mm -hmm. uh, we often recommend you look at the free stuff before you start paying yes. us money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, with all of this, uh, you know, people definitely would prefer, well, a lot of people would prefer to view things online. There are definitely people who would still prefer to view the original document and I'll say I'm I'm probably one of those, even though as you know, someone in charge of our social media and digital um, programming, I spend a lot of time on our digital collections and Flickr sites looking for uh, yeah, interesting documents. It's all about what what I'm doing, right? If I'm yeah. researching and I got to get through a lot quick, mm -hmm. I want to be able to kind of go through it digitally and take a look and, and just kind of mm -hmm. say, I don't need this or oh, mm -hmm. this is really interesting. Let me just save this and, and all that. But if I'm taking my time, I'd rather feel the the, mm -hmm. the 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 letter from you know the, yeah. the 1700s or mm -hmm. or see this document that was written in 1830 or whatever you know look at this map and and mm -hmm. actually look at the map as opposed to look at a copy of the map yeah. so it's just all about what i'm doing and if mm -hmm. i'm trying to get through something quick i want it online yeah i will also mention there are a few things to consider um about the um 
the different sites that are available for free, a lot of them are from microfilm copies. Mm -hmm. So they are black and white and may not contain the backside of some records. Now, usually they do um, take a picture if something is there, but that's just something to keep in mind. If you wanted to view the original, there could be stuff on the back. The color may change uh, some mm -hmm. of the, I guess, the contrast. So I would recommend looking at the uh, the the free version first or the one online first. But if you have any questions about it, we can definitely uh, also provide the original for you mm -hmm. to compare it to. Sometimes when people are thinking about, you know, that they want more materials online, they ask questions like this. Do you have capacity for folks to come in and help digitize the archives? This was a question that we got during our inventory um, back in January. And kind of the short answer is no. Um, it's not really something that is done on a volunteer basis simply because there is a lot of expertise that goes into it. Um, we do, though, have internship programs where students who are in library school or public history programs can come assist and learn how to do this. Um, and there are some really great opportunities for that. But it's not typically something that we take volunteers for. I will say that we do want volunteer assistance for another aspect of digitization, oh, yeah. which is mm -hmm. transcription. Uh, one of our ongoing programs is to transcribe some of our digital collections, and that way we can provide better access and better searching when you're looking through these records. If you're interested in volunteering to transcribe materials, we have training on the website that you can look through, and then you'll have the chance to transcribe. Uh, handwritten documents or sometimes typed if you wanted to start with an easier one. Um, the collections that are available for transcription change as collections are, are finished so check our website. Um, you can check digital collections. It's a project through from the page which is mm -hmm. uh, who we use for our service and we encourage you to get involved that way if you'd like to participate um, and, and that way you, you can help us make things more accessible once they've been scanned. So we do mm -hmm. welcome your assistance in that in that area yeah especially if you're good at reading historical handwriting <laughs> Stay tuned. please sign up <laughs> yeah that that historical handwriting is yeah that's why that's why i became a modern historian <laughs> <laughs> things that are typed and spoken well while we're on the subject of transcription um you know john you do transcriptions of oral history but it's a different kind of transcription do you want to explain the difference yeah yeah for sure so in 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 oral history, the transcription is taking what somebody said and making it written so that you can kind of, you know, if you look at a two hour long interview and you want something that that we talk about in minute 45, well, you're going to have to listen to 44 minutes worth of, of interview to get there. Or you can read a time stamped transcription, which will get you to minute 45 a lot quicker. And then you'll be able to just kind of scroll your way through the, the audio and listen to what you need to listen to. Or if you only need to cite what's in the transcript, that's fine, too. Um, that is a process that is very time consuming. Uh, you're looking at probably, if you're really good, maybe four hours of work for every hour of interview. Most people do eight hours for every hour of interview. So it takes a good long time. We have looked into uh, artificial intelligence when it comes to transcription. Uh, it, it's it's not there, but I would have said it wasn't there only a couple of years ago, and it's a lot closer to being there now than it was even just two or three years ago. So uh, that may help speed things up, make a breakthrough. It, currently, I mean, it cuts about a third, third of the time off, which is a big savings uh, than, it, than, it, than it ever was. Um, 
So that is something we're, we're working on. And then, you know, that we do take volunteers for as well. It's not from the page, but if you reach out to me directly and it's something you're interested in, it's something we could maybe work together on doing. Um, but yeah, that's how we transcribe oral history. Yeah, and the reason that the transcriptions are so important for digital access, you know, um, I, I want to assuage or I want to dispel some of the misconceptions of digital research. Um, if you see advertisements for large databases, the theory is you can go click on a name and you will see every record relating to that individual ever created. And that's a misnomer. That's mm -hmm. not quite the case. I mean, every database is more or less robust, but it involves the backend creation of what we call metadata, which is the information that you create about the document. If it's a title or where it was made, was it made in Lorenberg or was it made in Lincoln County? What date is, what, uh, what subjects? Is this a mm -hmm. civil war document or a civil rights document? So all of that goes into the metadata. And sometimes metadata oftentimes doesn't have specific individuals for genealogy. Mm -hmm. Transcription can let you search for the full text, which allows um, people to find these things a little bit easier. But most digital collections, at least through our collection, you're going to have to look through multiple documents to find individual people. For example, in the General Assembly session records, which are digitized uh, in the 1700s the petitions are all digitized which are fantastic and have a lot of names on them but those names are not listed individually yet so you would need to go in and search for okay this is a petition from Rowan County from 1790 maybe my ancestor who lived there is on there you're just going to have to look at the document as you would if you came into the search room and do to do research so mm -hmm. it is not a shortcut to allow you to just skip the research part of doing research yeah. <laughs> um there's still a lot of work involved it's still going to be a lot of a lot of hours parsing through a lot of records it's just you can do it from the comfort of home mm -hmm. but i mean i don't want people to think that they can just type in a name anywhere and get everything you still have to have yeah. a lot of research savvy and that's why uh, using the search room using folks like katie as your assistants to do this sort of work, even if it's on other platforms, is really critical because you have to understand what records you're looking at, what you might expect to find in those records, even sometimes how to read the record, like what each section means of a record. Those are all really critical aspects that are not something you get from a Google search. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great disclaimer. And something else that I would, I think we need to disclaim is, is everything digitized? No, no, not at all. We talked about that a bit at the beginning. It's just like, it's near impossible, mm -hmm. um, for one. And, uh, you know, maybe a small repository that only had a couple of collections, you know, would be able to get that online. Um, but there's a process for figuring out what we digitize. And that's another question we get a lot. And I'm actually going to uh, reference you to an episode from our previous season of Connecting the Docs. Um, I believe it's uh, Journey of Archival Discovery. Journey of an Archival Record. Journey of an Archival Record, and it's the Access and Discovery um, episode. And Shauna, who is uh, one of our metadata archivists, she goes into... And producer on this fine yes. podcast. Mm -hmm. <laughs> she goes into 
a bit more detail about how we figure out what to put online. Um, and that's, I think that's something that's helpful to know, cause especially because uh, you may have different priorities than us and that is okay. Mm-hmm. And it's just good to know um, one, what you're wanting to be online. Like we like to hear that it's helpful for us in making our decisions. Um, but I think also knowing the process for how something gets put up in the digital collection can be helpful for um, just understanding a bit more about how much work it is. It's a lot of work. We have a we have an entire team that just that their entire job is just getting things up on the digital collections. Yeah. There's a visualization I want to provide for you to understand this this um this process because my staff is in the middle uh, of this of this pyramid so picture a pyramid um, kind of like the old school food pyramid <laughs> the bottom and I'm, I'm just talking about all those carbs I'm just talking about <laughs> government records in this case special collections is a bit, bit different but government records as we mentioned last year come to us via a retention schedule and there can be a lot that come in via the retention schedule. So that bottom row is all of the records that come to us from state agencies. So they come to us in large cubic foot boxes. They're unprocessed, so they look exactly like however the agency put it in there. And they come in series, which is each series is a certain kind of record. And each series can contain thousands of cubic feet. Mm -hmm. Some of those series, all of the series are archival. They all have long-term value. My staff decides which series we're going to process, which means we're going to translate those big series into smaller chunks that people can more easily access. We'll put more information into the catalog. So instead of just a box, it'll have maybe have folder information. It'll have more information about what the records are inside those folders. It will have more access points. It will be in Fiberdex boxes, which are the boxes that you see when you come into the search room. From those 1,000 cubic feet, we may process 100. Mm -hmm. And then from what's processed, the digital staff decide what's going to be digitized. Mm -hmm. And from the 100 cubic feet that are processed, there may only be 10 feet of a Mm sub-series that's high enough level of interest to be digitized. So going up the pyramid, that's like – Yeah, that's that's the the sweets in Mm -hmm. the – that's the sweets and the fats, right? Yep. Isn't that of the, the old food pyramid? That's where we want to be. Um, and with that lovely morsel in our heads, let's take a quick break, uh, and we'll be back to talk about research questions. Mm-hmm. Hey, history enthusiasts and library fanatics. Ready to dive into the past and make some cash this summer? The 2024 Friends of the Archives Paid Summer Internship is calling your name. But wait there's more. This year, we're offering not one, but two amazing opportunities. Join the Friends of the Archives internship or hop on board with the Traveling Archivist program. Time's ticking. The deadline is February 15th, so dust off that resume and get ready to uncover history in style. Intrigued? Head over to our website to learn more and apply at tinyurl.com bdfr7cxj. Don't miss out on the chance to make your mark on history. Seize the summer with the State Archives of North Carolina. Welcome back. Um, We're here uh, doing an Ask an Archivist segment for everybody. Um, 
we'll dive right into the research questions. Yeah, so we got this question on uh, on Facebook a couple of months ago from uh, a literary group in North Carolina. I cannot remember the name, and I'm sorry about that, <laughs> but they asked if they could come peruse any literature at the State Archives, um, which typically my answer would be, no, that's not, that's more of a library thing, right? But I started thinking about some collections I've been looking at um, when I was looking for materials for Poetry Month. And we do actually have a private collection that consists of numerous transcripts and typescripts of Annie Ruth Maynard Woods. Uh, she was an African-American author and a native of Cumberland County. Um, and we do have her materials, uh, those original manuscripts and typescripts that are available for research in the search room. Um, I think there's a, a couple of other private collections. Yeah, you know, just off the top of my head, there are some World War One and Two materials that include manuscripts oh, in, cool. the, in the private collections for those mm -hmm. boxes that I've come across before. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we we have a probably a bunch more originals um, of manuscripts. So that, that's mm -hmm. a good question. And I mean, I will plug our, our neighbors. I know that both UNC and Duke have a lot of authors collections in their holdings so if you're interested and again like so you're going to see draft manuscripts you're going to see their correspondence their notes they end up in archives just not as many in our institution but we have some mm -hmm. yeah so that was that was a kind of cool rabbit trail I went down <laughs> <laughs> and you know uh just speaking of literature in general <laughs> Uh, we also share a building with the State Library, so if mm -hmm. you were interested in more secondary sources about North Carolina history or uh, genealogy in general, you could always plan a double trip, do yep. a library in the morning, archives in the One afternoon. One-stop mm -hmm. shop. Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, Very good. And if you're coming, um, you may have some questions about how to find records, and we did get a question about that on Facebook recently. Um she said, I'm searching my researching my family and I'm not being very successful at finding records for them at the archives. I'm positive that I am not searching properly. Is there a video or a guide to help with that? Yes, uh, Josh actually mentioned something related to this earlier. None of our records, well, nearly none of our <laughs> records are indexed by name in our catalog. Mm -hmm. So if you are just searching by name, that may be where you're running into your first... Um, kind of issue some of our records are mm -hmm. um just to throw this out here our, our wills are indexed by name on our site as well as uh, some of our army accounts and vouchers mm -hmm. land grants land grants are by name so there are a few items but that's just a small portion of our whole you know mm -hmm. collection that we have that you may be interested in so to do genealogy or genealogical research in the search room you will need to know a few things before coming in or reaching out to us. All of our records for the county is um, organized first by county and then by record type and then by date or name. So you will need to know those bits of information before we may be able to help you find anything. Mm -hmm. Also keep in mind there are some of abstracts of our records available at the state library mm -hmm. and available in the search room the state library has much more or many more than we do but we do also have a few those are um they can be like court records um 
the census books, deeds, that sort of thing. Some of them are abstracted. So those are searchable by name mm-hmm. once you come in. But if you're just doing a straight search of our catalog by name, that's probably where um, mm-hmm. where you're running into problems. And I'll also say that you may be more familiar with the term abstract as a summary. But when, when we talk about abstracts for county records, it's more of a transcription yes um that people that patrons just researchers have done over the years we still have people who come in and do this they go through and they they transcribe and then index um county records and so that can be really helpful but they also can make mistakes so you may not find your ancestor in a county abstract when you know it's just because somebody read the name wrong like again Mm -hmm. we're dealing with historical handwriting um, but also when it comes to searching our catalog, uh, as for the question about video guides, we do have guides coming in video form very soon. Um, but right now there are guides to searching the catalog, um, in PDF form available on our website. So we'll put a link to that in the show notes. Um, and also the state library has some great resources on genealogy research and just got forms you can download to fill out um, and a little bit more of a step-by-step guide to the types of records that you might need to look at and so we'll definitely put a link to their guides too because they're great and we also have some on our blog Um, so there's a lot out there that's really specific to um, can be really specific to North Carolina and to the records and materials available through the state archives and state library so there are guides to help with that for sure. So speaking as someone who is in charge of maintaining the catalog uh, <laughs> with my staff, uh, if I could give one tip to researchers, it's utilize facets. And what mm-hmm. I mean by facets are when you go to our catalog, you go to our search bar and you'll type in something, say John Smith, who is, of course, pales in comparison to John Horan, but... Uh, we, we digress. Uh, so t- you type in John Smith, and then you'll get a lot of results. What kind of result are you actually looking for? On the left are the facets. You can narrow down your results by what record type, what date, um, which repository, and several other really useful ways to narrow your search. Mm-hmm. You can also, and I find this really useful, narrow it down by what level. So if you, and by that I mean, is it a record group? So record group is like, this is the John Smith collection. Or is it a series? This is the John Smith correspondence within the Department of Labor collection. Or is it a specific folder? This is John Smith's estate file. Or is it an item? This is the photograph of John Smith within the folder, within the... so. That narrows it down, too, because, like, oh, this is just one item, or, oh, this is an entire record group on this? But if you know you're looking for one item, that can also narrow your search, too. So that's a really robust tool. Um, It takes some getting used to, to use some facets. It is more of an advanced search, but we designed the system to be able to use those facets. So please, as as the person who's in charge of the staff that put a lot of this in there for government records, use those facets that's why we that's a lot of the data we put into the back end system so that you can search easier in the catalog and i will mention uh one more thing if you are still having issues or um i guess 
just questions about how to use our catalog, how to use our digital site, feel free to contact the search room. Uh, part of our job is just directing you toward, you know, suggestions about how to how to search for things, uh, giving you um, kind of pointers on how to use the websites. That is part of our job. And if you have a specific question about um, our records as well, keep in mind or or try to phrase what exactly you're looking for, because that will also narrow down some records. So if you're doing family history and your end goal is to find out this person's parents' names, that we, ha we would have suggestions that would be completely different than if you're trying to find their maiden name. So uh, it could be helpful to think about what you're trying to find out when you are searching through our records. And again, please feel free to contact us by email or by phone, and uh, we can kind of give you some pointers there. All right. Well, one of I'm sure if you've ever done a shift in the search room, um, you've had somebody come up and ask you to help them read it. If they're looking at a deed, an old court docket, um, and after they come up and ask you, they might ask, how are you able to do that? How are you able to read historic <laughs> handwriting? So I have my own answer, but I'm curious, you know, Josh and Katie, did you, when you started in the search room, were you, did you already have a pretty good handle on reading historic handwriting? Well, I grew up um, <laughs> learning cursive so I had mm -hmm. a uh, leg up there yes a lot of this <laughs> is written in cursive um, but I also did take some classes in uh, my undergrad and grad school about uh, transcribing which helped oh, they, cool. there's some mm -hmm. pointers about like um, you know look for similar letters mm -hmm. compare it to other words on the page and you know, that, that sort yeah. of thing so I did mm -hmm. have that heading into it uh, funny story during one of my first internships one of the questions was are you able to read and write cursive which I thought was interesting and then she explained you know oh all these younger kids coming in they don't teach cursive in schools as much anymore so they mm -hmm. get here and they're like oh no they're you know way behind uh, so I'm I was lucky there that I did have that kind of uh, in, in my tool belt before mm -hmm. starting here yeah I mean I took some similar classes in in college I think a lot of it, though, is just a lot of practice. Um, mm -hmm. There are certain things you just have to read documents over and over again. Um, it, I, I liken it to when you're learning a new video game. There is a difficulty curve. <laughs> and sometimes the difficulty curve is very easy. Like if you get a great clerk whose handwriting is top notch, it's going to be mm -hmm. a great introduction level. It's the tutorial. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We we often uh, are going through books at the at the cert or uh, at the desk, and I'll hear you know one of my colleagues say, "Oh no, the clerk changed." <laughs> yeah, yes. It's a whole different handwriting. <laughs> the old, yep. the old one was so well, nice. Well, see, that's when you hit the boss level, <laughs> and, and that's when it gets really when when you you know it's going to be the boss when the music changes yeah. and you. Uh, you start hearing Shalom Bowser and you're like, oh, no, uh, the Bowser of, of clerks, basically. And that's what's the challenge, because when it's really bad, it's really bad. And there are cases when we still talk to each other, mm -hmm. you know, we'll go be like, what is this name? What is this? Especially with names, because there's no way you can know what word it is because you're not comparing to a dictionary. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's no context for names. Yeah. Uh, so we actually had something like this happen in the search room the other day. One of our patrons was trying to read whether a name had an R or an N mm. in it, which is one of the hardest. It's right in the oh, middle yeah. of the word, you know. And uh, he had 
a good idea to start pulling other records where it may have been written down about the same person. Um, he was mm-hmm. actually transcribing one of the books for his, you know, personal use. Um, but we pulled, uh, you know, some court records that had it written, some uh, the will of the guy comparing it and um unfortunately there was no consensus because it was listed back and forth on every record (laughs) Uh, there was you know but that's that's the sort of thing we look at we compare it to other records we uh we ask our colleagues you know like first impression what is this word you know Mm -hmm. and uh you look at it in the context of the sent of the sentence itself and there's also things to remember um words were spelled different yes uh back Back in the day. There was no, I was about to say that there was no consensus on standardization of spelling until yes. what? Well into the mid-19th oh, century? Oh, yeah, yeah. Exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, letters were written differently. <laughs> yes. The double. and S's. Yeah, the double <laughs> S. The, Looks like S. That's the big one. Yep. Yeah, th- so there's some things <laughs> to keep in mind, yeah, when uh, when looking through these older records. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I will say I had the cursive, you know, the, I learned cursive writing very early on and and so that was something that was always part of my education and I also I journaled in cursive for a while in high school because I thought it looked really cool to like you know do my journal in cursive you had a lot of practice <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> um but I I do think though that there is um a lot of the expertise in reading historic handwriting just comes from saturation and mm-hmm. that we know what words to expect in the court docket yes like, I can recognize a word because I expect it to be there (laughs) it's when it's something more personal that it can be a little bit trickier if the person you know if it's if it's more of like a letter or something where you're not necessarily you don't have common words to be looking for yeah yeah for sure I mean because I took cursive and I took calligraphy and I still write in these things Mm -hmm. until today and I'm st- I speaking as a modern historian don't want to touch this stuff yeah. because it's it's I it, I can read the 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 words in a vacuum the mm-hmm. letters in a vacuum but then you put this stuff together and it's like somebody you know you wonder did they take cursive yeah. as they were writing this thing down no. you know and how, did this, and how did this clerk get hired right yeah, yeah, right yeah. right and so yeah <laughs> it's it's true through the ages yes. um and so you know that's why I, I i once again make a plug for typewritten uh typewriters great invention mm-hmm. uh, computers <laughs> fabulous you know spoken word that's where i'm at but it, it's 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 real. But it's still fun to get to get into this stuff and and, mm-hmm. and and you know that way you get a little bit of a background, a basis, and practice. Well, That's see, the answer. I didn't even get into the bonus secret boss. That's when the paper is scarce and people start writing in both directions over oh, each other. Oh yes, in letters they oh, they yes. just turn the page and start writing the other direction on top of the yes the cur- oh I hate that. Those <laughs> are the secret special boss that you only can unlock with a secret secret code. Yeah, I don't think I can do that yet. <laughs> I'm still working my way up there. Usually, Civil I'm War back to era. a typewriter. Yeah. They are they are tough. <laughs> They're the Sephiroth of archival (laughs) reading. Mm -hmm. If you understand the illusion, all of our um, Final Fantasy and history nerds. (laughs) I'm out of that Venn diagram. I'm probably the only one inside it. But let's continue. Yes. So uh, I'll close with a question that, once again, if you've worked a search room shift, you've heard this question. Do I have to wear gloves to handle records? Mm. Or... 
why don't you give us gloves to handle records? It's my favorite <laughs> question, by the way. Yeah. That, that's actually a really good one because, you know, when you look at archives and movies, they're all oh, wearing yeah. gloves. And oh, it's yeah. all, you know, it's all glass and like special protected, yeah. you know. National treasure. White, white gloves. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, sure. White gloves like they're all butlers. Right, yeah. right. Um, but actually, in the field, white cotton gloves are not the standard. Um, you know, they actually may do more harm than good. Uh, the The cotton fibers may snag the fab, or not the fabric, the paper. The paper um, fibers, yeah. Dirt is more commonly found on gloves if they're used over and over, that sort mm -hmm. of thing. So it's actually, um, the standard is just to wash your hands before, make sure yeah. they're dry. Uh, no food or anything. Or Make dirt. sure they're dry. Yes, yes. I wanted to <laughs> make sure they're dry. <laughs> And then handle the paper because, you know, paper was made to be handled by hands. Mm -hmm. So it's um, that that's the standard, you know, just regular yeah. clean hands. It's completely fine. All, unless unless you are working with photographs, then we yeah. then it may be helpful to put on uh, some nitrile gloves mm -hmm. uh, to prevent smudging. Especially in photographic prints, but especially negatives. Yeah. Negatives are very volatile for mm -hmm. uh, fingerprints. Mm -hmm. So in that case, yes, put on the gloves of power. But yeah, the other the other thing about white gloves is that, um, y you know, your fingers have so many nerve endings. Right. And so you can feel the paper. You can feel if it's starting to tear a little bit. There's so much you can feel with that that you can't feel if you're wearing gloves. And so that's another that's another reason. Um, and it's, uh, like like you said, especially when you're dealing with really old records, the paper quality is just totally different than what it is in like the 70s we have this we call it onion paper onion it's paper. the worst <laughs> um just this super this see-through paper that just like hardens and breaks into a million pieces um yeah you want to i think you want to be able to feel <laughs> you don't feel if it's breaking yeah exactly yeah. um it's maybe you know? not going to handle the oils as well as you know the paper from, from 1700s yeah these, you know, um, but it, it's definitely something to consider um and uh yes that is that is one of the yeah. all-time it's a great question questions. i mean and, and yeah. you think about like if you think about when it's cold you know mm -hmm. once again i've said on this podcast as the resident northerner <laughs> when it's cold <laughs> you put gloves on you feel things less yeah right mm -hmm. so you you i always take my gloves off to, to deal with my phone not only mm -hmm. because of the touch screen but because i need to be able to have the dexterity yeah. so you think about it that way and then we're doing a lot of uh uh, video game references and, and, and nerding mm -hmm. out there. Let's yep. do a sports reference. Watch your favorite quarterback. They don't have gloves on because they want to be able to feel the ball so they can put the placement, they can place it just right. <laughs> it's the same thing concept the here. The lineman can wear gloves all day. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> Better to hold other people's jerseys. <laughs> that's right. So yep. there you go. Yeah, there's other things we're doing for conservation that are going to do more to preserve the record than handing out white gloves. Now, if so. you want to wear two white gloves to be a Mickey Mouse or one white glove to be a smooth criminal, that's fine. <laughs> uh, that's not something that we, yeah. we need to do every day in the art. Yep. <laughs> um, but I'd be remiss. Uh, one question that I've gotten that I want to make sure we address as, as we close, uh, to Katie specifically, if people can't get to the search room because we've given them a lot of great things to think about today and throughout That's the whole true. podcast can they and it's not scanned because we already talked about how most stuff isn't scanned <laughs> are they out of luck 
no, yes, uh, we have a correspondence unit yep. that Lauren mentioned earlier she was a part of. Part of her good four and a half years. Yes. It's great. <laughs> Where uh, our tasks are specifically remote research. Um, now, we cannot assist with general research mm-hmm. if you, you know, call us and say, oh, tell me all about this ancestor. That's not something we can specifically help with. Mm-hmm. However, if you say, I'm trying to find a marriage record from this county and I can't get there, we can send you a copy. Mm-hmm. It's uh, there are fees whether you are in state or out of state, um, but yes, we mm-hmm. our goal is to make everything as accessible as possible. So we can send you a physical copy through the yeah. mail. We can send you a PDF uh, mm-hmm. scan of it. Uh, just contact us if you have questions yeah. about what's available. Um, and I'll plug for North Carolina taxpayers. Uh, if you uh, send us a request and we don't find anything, you don't pay anything. Yes, no uh, fee. There is no upfront check. fee for us to check. Um, and it's also very easy for us to, you know, if you're planning a visit to the search room and like she said earlier, struggling with figuring out the catalog, you can send us an email, you know, do you even have court records from this county for this, these years? Because, you know, this is something for a whole nother podcast, but there's this thing called burn counties where we have counties that, uh, we're missing records because of either courthouse fires or floods or just human error. So, you know, we hate for you to come all this way and find out that, you know, Burke County is uh, missing a lot of records. <laughs> and, you know, that goes also for a little bit more obscure questions or niche questions. Mm-hmm. If, like if you say, my ancestor, you know, I know that they had a trial. It's in a newspaper. What I find witness statements there. We can assist you with figuring out stuff about our records. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we Absolutely. can look into those books and say, actually, for that county, they did mm-hmm. not keep witness statements. Mm-hmm. Um, just a fun fact, usually they did not. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> we can assist you with, uh, you know, record-specific questions as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it sounds like, you know, between food pyramids and boss levels, the search room (laughs) will definitely help out as much as possible. Make sure you use those allies throughout your researching process. You know, we've gone through a bunch of great questions today in this Ask an Archivist segment. And so I just want to thank everybody in this room individually. I'd like to thank you, Lauren. You're welcome. You, Josh. Remember, when you're doing research, it's dangerous to go alone. (laughs) Oh, dear. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) thanks, Katie. No problem. (laughs) And with that, I'll thank our producers on this one. We've got Lauren McCoy as a producer. We've got Brooke Chuka as a producer. We've got Shauna Carr as a producer and podcast intern Annabeth Poe. Uh, I'll also give a special thanks to the voice you hear at the beginning and end of each podcast, Judy Allen Dodson. And I'm your host, John Horan. We hope you enjoyed this episode of season four of Connecting the Docs. Don't forget to like, rate, and subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts, so you'll never miss an episode. If you like this show, you might want to check out our blog, History for All the People. Music